0: Alrighty, good afternoon. Welcome to episode two of The Cutting Room Floor. Uh, hello guys, welcome back. I'm Jamie. And I am Dom. This week we're going to try to be more focused, and by we I do mean me. <laughs> uh, Dom, Both of us. <laughs> the, Dom gave me some homework again, and uh, we're going to talk this week about Alfred Hitchcock. We are.
1: But we, we we won't jump right into it. So first, you watch anything else interesting this week?
0: Me, yeah. I uh, believe it or not, uh, the most interesting thing I watched this week was the new trailer for The Flash. <laughs> like I, I know, I would I, like it. I I know, I know a lot of people are talking about it, and. There was also a Japanese version which is kind of great because there's different footage in it. Mm. And every once in a while there's just some guy randomly yelling things in Japanese. <laughs> I guess like I guess he's like reading what it says in English but in Japanese. So then at the end he's like flasher." Like like for the flash and I'm like, "What just happened?" <gasps> yeah. But but it's great. It's great <laughs> in, in so many different ways. It's fantastic. And and I hate to say it, but like all these people, I've been watching a lot of the reviews from the people that were there at the Cinecon, uh, mm-hmm. where they premiered it, and everyone is actually praising Ezra Miller. Dude, he's good. He, he is good, but a lot of people judge him based on his private life.
1: Yeah, but I'm like, the so, work is there.
0: Yeah, his, his acting ability it has always been, from what I've seen him in, from Royal Pains to Perks of Being a Wallflower... Perks. You see, we need to talk about Kevin. Actually, I never did. Ooh, that's the shit. That's a good one. But he... I, I, The the one thing... I don't remember if I said this last week or I was just talking randomly to people. The one thing I hate about cancel culture is it's biased. Yeah. So, like... And and it's usually what people do in their personal lives that they have affecting their professional life. Like, Mm -hmm. that people want to affect their professional life. So, like, if... People in power, like uh, political power—I hate to get political—but obviously, there have been a lot of iffy things about politicians over the past few years. But they're still—they still have their jobs. So why are we going after like celebrities? Yeah, you know what—that is a really good point. That is, and and that being said, Michael Keaton looks fantastic. Also, hey, he's, the, <laughs> he's been the man, man. He's he, been the man okay, ever since nineteen. 19- I want to say 89 because of Batman, but Beetlejuice was a year before yeah, that. I was like, Beetlejuice really was a, yeah you know, hard. And uh, even, um, look at Mr. Mom. Did you ever see Mr. Mom? I actually never saw Mr. Mom. I've always wanted to. Yeah. i watch that soon. I think that was, what, like 83, maybe 84. So it's like earlier. It's right after, I think, The Night Shift, one of Ron Howard's first films. Hey, Ronnie he, Howard. That, that he starred in. But yeah, he, uh, and Johnny Dangerously. Which uh, obviously was more Joe Piscopo than Michael Keaton. <laughs>
1: Michael Keaton was the man. Yeah. The trailer looked good. I'm excited for it. It should be a good time. And I'm glad they decided to stick it out and release it because I I just think it would have been such a waste. They knew what they had on their hands.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and that's what it looks like and that's what people have been saying. It's like believe the hype is like I think the most common thread through what I've heard about it. And the hype being from like James Gunn or Mm -hmm. uh, David Zaslav, the head of Warner Brothers Discovery, which of course they have to promote it because they work for them or own the company. But it's when you hear other people saying the same thing, it's uh, it makes you hopeful because I
1: was like, it's a little more comforting. Yes.
0: Yes. Because I've loved The Flash. Honestly, I, I I'm older, as I remember saying last week, older than Dom, I should say. And I remember the 1990 Flash TV show, which was the first real thing after Batman 89 that you had as far as like superhero stuff goes that sort of was in that same vein. And ever since then, I've been reading the comics and whatever. And like, I'm just super excited because the Flash comically, well, not comedically, but, (laughs) but, but comic book wise is a great character and an important character to comic books Generally, because he saved comics, but that might be a discussion for a different day. Yeah, we'll we'll
1: talk about that when we review the Flash. Yes, yes that'll be that'll be a good one. Oh, this week, you know, every Wednesday night, you know, I usually uh, dive into a couple things. So I, I went ahead and I got off work a little early yesterday, and I went and saw Bo is Afraid, mm. the new Ari Aster film with Joaquin Phoenix. Wow, how was that? It was an experience. It was three hours long. Um, it didn't need to be that long. <laughs> they, they, we could have trimmed it down. I did enjoy it, but I will say, I like some of his other films more. But I will say this: the first act is is great. It's funny as hell. It it's fresh. It's different. It's and Joaquin he killed this role what with a lesser actor this movie could have really failed but he did a great job i was very impressed with what he pulled out and his body transformation you know he put some weight on for it he Mm -hmm. looks he looks interesting but there's some polarizing stuff in this film you're gonna see some stuff that you've never seen in a film before but i will say this there's a um like a stop motion kind of like green screen animation scene they do in act two and it's like 20 minutes long but it's really cool and real trippy and interesting something different i haven't seen in a while so i did i did like that the endings i could really see it upsetting people but overall i I did like it if i feel like i need to watch it again because it's it's definitely one that requires another viewing because I felt like I caught a lot of stuff, but I feel like there's a lot of stuff I probably didn't catch, too. So I'll, I'll give a better review when I see it again. But as it stands, if I was going to give it a letter grade,
0: I would give it a B. I've seen the posters for it, but I didn't see any trailers for it. And in the poster, it almost looked like Joaquin was like all the different characters.
1: Yeah. So actually, the, the kid is actually an actor that just looks a lot like him okay it's not deep fake or anything like that yeah but all the other ones are just versions of him and makeup i'm pretty sure okay but yes you see him in different stages of life oh is that what that is story okay kinda it's it's about he's uh he's kind of suffering from trauma from his childhood and he's getting therapy for this and He's supposed to go visit his mother, who is the source of this trauma, and he's afraid of everything, like everything. And it's really funny and interesting. But he uh it's really about his journey to to a discovery of something he needs to do which I won't say because that'll ruin the film.
0: So, just based on that, what popped into my head was Polka dot man from the suicide squad. Oh, no. <laughs> right. Yeah, because
1: his mom is, you know, yeah. she, I guess, he has some trauma. Yeah. It's so funny when he's uh, seeing her all giant and then the different versions of her in the club. That's funny as hell, too.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, I, I mean, that probably has nothing to do with Bo is Afraid. It doesn't, but, but it's, but, but, but
1: it, it, I mean, it parallels.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because obviously, Polka dot man, David Da schmalion I believe is his mm-hmm. name. Incredible. Yeah, he's great. good. He he's really good. And you know, he did a really good job of portraying that kind of a uh, aloofness yes. that comes with trauma as far as dealing with other people. Yeah, he
1: definitely did. He was funny. I I did like his arc a lot. I think they did such a good job uh, great job with the characters in that movie. Every every character had their moment. They had their their point of interest. I uh, thought that was a good job. The fake out at the beginning is my favorite. Oh yeah. so funny. That was a good one. But I also watched a couple others. Ah, oh, what else? Yeah. So, um, I watched Passive Glory. Ah, oh, Kubrick. Wow, great, great film. One of Is that early 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 Kubrick. early 50s. Wow. Man, what a movie. All I can say is I'm glad we don't live in the era of the draft anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that 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 movie, would, mm, it was, yeah, it had me feeling some kind of kind of way, but it was good. It was really good. It was excellent. And then, how, we were talking a, uh, a couple weeks ago and you know I was like I'm going to watch a black exploitation film yeah. so I Coffee. Ah, uh, so Pam good. Greer. Yeah. Yeah. Real good. I really enjoyed that. It was really funny, really hard. Action was good. Pam Greer looks great, man. She's Oof. some nice some nice things to look at in the movie. Yeah. It's a lot a lot of it. Yes. So it was it yes. was fun. I had a lot of fun with that. Um There is another one I watched, but I'm not going to talk about it now. I'm going to wait for our streaming recommendation. 'Cause that's what I'm gonna recommend. Um, but I did watch a an old anime movie, um uh Hail Miyazaki's first feature length. Um it's the loop in the third, the castle of Caligristo. It mm. was very, very good, fun and you know, silly, you know, rescue the princess anime story, but it was real fun. If you like anime movies, you you'd like it. So but yeah, so we'll we'll get into the what this episode is about. So, my my one of my favorite directors uh, is America. Alfred. Alfred's the man, and and we're gonna separate the artist from the personal life because you know a lot of people had a lot of things to say about him. But Alfred Hitchcock has made some of the most influential films of all time, and he's still being celebrated to this day for that reason. And I think. A fat majority of his films have really stood the test of time and are still trying to be emulated to this day. His films have been remade in various ways with different titles, you know, over and over, you know, like, like Disturbia. Everyone loved Disturbia. Made all this money. Shia LaBeouf. So great. It's rear window. So <laughs> it, it it he's just he was next level. He invented a lot of different things, a lot of different shots. Obviously, the dolly zoom, which is a big one, we still see all the time. That's and the it's one never going away. That's I, I remember you.
0: I think you did a video or something on it before I talking about it. In it. One. Yes, yeah. in one, yeah, because because of Jaws using it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, I couldn't remember because watching Vertigo, mm-hmm. I'm like, there's that shot that yep. Dom was He's talking about.
1: In there. Yep. Yeah, He's got it in there, and that's where it was born, Um which. Vertigo is one of my favorite films. We will—is that the first time it was used in Vertigo? Mm
0: -hmm. Oh wow!
1: Yep, he's the man. He he knows he knows what he's doing. So I did give Mister Jamie here some homework. So uh, I had him watch three films, three of my favorite Hitchcock films, and three I would probably say I can maybe scratch one and add in Rear Window if I wanted to pick a three best for him, but. These are three I think were more fun to talk about. Rear Window, you know, it's been beaten with, with a stick. It's been beaten like a dead horse. So we'll talk about these other three. So we'll go on order by release. So we'll start with Notorious, 1946, Cary Grant and the beautiful Angry Bergman, one of my favorite Swedish actresses. So
0: what would you think of the film? I I thought it was interesting. I I try, I try to look at things in context. So 1946, uh, obviously Notorious, if anyone's seen it, or if they haven't, there, there might be a few spoilers just plot-wise, but it deals with uh, post-war Germans in South America, <laughs> and American agents who are not played by Americans. <laughs> uh, so in that respect, I, I did... Say to Dom, it reminded me of true lies. Yeah. With Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, he's like, I'm an American spy. Like, <laughs> that makes sense because you sound obscenely American. Sir. Yeah. It's
1: like we're talking about blood sport.
0: I yeah. Yeah. Van Graham
1: is an American soldier. Yeah.
0: Man. Which makes sense. <laughs> it makes total sense. So, so it's, it's, it's interesting though to see it as I hate to use the word propaganda, but. At the time, you know, it's like anti-German propaganda because Mm -hmm. of the sentiment in the world still from the end of World War II. So the story just revolves around that type of eras, like 1940s espionage, and trying to find out what these Germans are doing, whatever nefarious things they might be doing. And Claude Rains, one of the... Best actors of all oh, time. Man, he's so good. He he plays a German, which is uh ironic because he played a Frenchman, I believe, in Casablanca, yep. who hated Germans. Yep. So <laughs> with Ingrid Bergman, with also. Ingrid
1: Bergman. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Casablanca because I think these two fo- these two films fall in the kind of the same category. Both they both came out right when the war was happening or ending. And You know, they definitely reflected that time period. But these films are regarded as some of the best of all time. And I think they should be cherished as relics as such because they are reminders of the things that went on throughout this land that shaped us as a country. And for me personally, and you too, even, we weren't around back then. Mm -mm. But it's fun to look back at this stuff. And we got our own mess going on right now. But I still find it more interesting to look back at something that's over and done with.
0: Yes, I Yes, I, I. understand, because then you get to see, like, it's almost a time capsule of what the perception was at that time of uh, Germans who fled to mm-hmm. South America. Because, you know, we hear about it now as, like, you know, well, uh, like, Tom Brady's wife is from Brazil, Brazil mm-hmm. and she has a very German last name. Mm-hmm. So, so, so we obviously know Germans did. There were
1: some things going on. Yes, yes,
0: because I think, I think in Notorious, aren't they in Rio? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are in Rio. So it's it, it is weird to to see it as like an anti-German film when you have such a good actor playing such a terrible person, as as in Claude Rains being yes. be, being the. Ex-Nazi, or still current Nazi at that yeah, time. I'm
1: like, you know, he's probably yeah. still got some ties. Yeah, and
0: his mother also. They uh-huh. his, his mother is in the film. And it's just, because Hitchcock is, uh, I believe he, he's British, and then he started making American movies in the early 30s. Because mm-hmm. he started in the 20s doing silent films. Mm-hmm. And he, obviously, American and British, since we were allies, there would still be that same sense of, patriotism and pride so you would want to show you're not going to show defeat no but i i I noticed like at least in these three films there's these this weird trend of of romance yeah and i i realize that psycho is one of the films so i'll i'll talk about that a little more when i get to it because you wouldn't think of Psycho is is really a romance. Well,
1: there's, film. there's lots of romance the, in Psycho.
0: There there, there is some and, we
1: don't maybe want to think about. Yeah, uh, but yeah, there's there's,
0: I mean, yeah, and and it's it's strange to me how like how quickly these people fall in love. Like, but then again, who wouldn't fall in love with Cary Grant or Ingrid Bergman? Ingr- yeah, at, at like first sight, you know,
1: Ingrid Bergman, one of my favorites from you know, the golden era. Oh, she's beautiful. Her and Grace Kelly were just like
0: angels in these films, man. And it's just, uh, it's like, like that's, if I have one gripe, it's like, you know, these characters fall in love and then they're separated somehow. Mm -hmm. And then they somehow get back together. And then there's no resolution really Yeah, at the end of the film. It's almost like you have to figure out what happens after it says the end. Well, see, with Notorious, I feel like that's one you can
1: you can maybe guess because I think Notorious does have a happy ending, whereas Vertigo is total tragedy. Yeah, um, so I, I do feel like Notorious had a, a clean ending. You know, maybe they did stay together, maybe they didn't. But yeah. I do think if, if if we were to find out they did, it wouldn't be out of the realms of reality, where clearly. We, you know, we'll we'll talk about Verder when we get there. But I'm glad you brought up the romance aspect because there is Hitchcock, most of his films have some either romance is gonna play a big part in the film, or there's definitely some underlying romance that motivates the character's actions. So that's a big theme for him. And me, I've always enjoyed films with a romance aspect because it is such a big part of life and Nobody wants to be alone. Everybody wants to experience romance in one way or another. So I think it's interesting to see it portrayed on screen in whoever's vision of what it is, given the situation of what's going on. So in Notorious, you got these people who maybe shouldn't trust each other and that are very different. And, you know, Cary Grant's extremely hesitant at first. And, you know, he doesn't really want anything to do with her. But then, you know, of course quickly like we see in these older films especially these the classic hollywood films the romances they blossom like that they'll yes, meet on yes. monday and by friday they're already thinking about getting married so yeah that that's kind of how it goes so yeah. yes in this film it does progress quickly but you got them working together to to do a job too which has that fun kind of james bond thing going yes, on that does. whole aspect of it and i mean to me notorious is like a Hitchcock version of a Bond movie. Cary Grant could have easily played Bond. He has the charisma, the look, the acting skills. He had the physical prowess to play it. He had everything. So I do think he was like, I'm going to take Cary G. I'm going to take one of the hottest actresses in the game and, you know, make my version of a fun spy film. And I'm going to incorporate what's happening in the world. So I think it gave everybody something. In 46, that was... That was a huge film for mm-hmm. what it did, not money wise or
0: anything like that, but game changing for the the time it came out. It's a taboo subject, mm-hmm. if you think about it yeah and and the romances that I noticed in these films are kind of taboo in a lot of ways because in notorious, she ends up marrying claude rain's character uh sebastian mm-hmm. alex Alexander Sebastian. And Cary Grant is still in love with her. She's still in love with him. Mm-hmm. So there's this extramarital uh-huh, affair yeah. aspect to it.
1: And then that gives it that extra layer of tension because, you know, now they're sneaking around. And, you know, he's always around the corner. And especially, you know, when they're in the cellar messing with the glass bottles. Yes, and yes. Stuff. that That's that's so intense. And that, that, in t- that intensity in the movie, I think, just, you know, kicks it up a notch. And it, it keeps you really engaged. And, you know, it... It's something nice to add to it that just keeps it from being boring because you got a couple different things all going on at once, but nothing overpowers the other. Hitchcock balances the different themes and subject matters in his films very well to all paint the overall picture. I think he does that, I won't say better than anyone, but he's definitely one of the masters of it. And I think he laid down a big blueprint on how to... You're
0: right, because uh, he's great with tension. Mm-hmm. and that's, I mean,
1: he's the master it, of suspense. Yeah,
0: and it's the music. It's the music. Oh, scores it's, are insane. It's the filmmaking. It's the, the way the actors move. I read that he was so involved with the storyboarding and the screenwriting process that he never had a script on set, because he already had it in his head. Uh, like, like, he already had the whole thing memorized, but he had it in his head what the final shots were going to be like. Mm-hmm. And he would never look through the with the viewfinder, even though there were, like, uh, publicity photos of him doing that. He never did that way if the studio head wanted him him to, like, have a shot from a different angle. He's like, we only did one shot. That's all we had. Ah, That's all we did. So smart. Because he wanted it the way that he envisioned it at the whole way like building from the ground up and i noticed i don't know about notorious but at least with vertigo and psycho they were both based on books Mm -hmm. and it got me thinking because he's british and even though at this point he's in the american film system Mm -hmm. i was thinking of uh kubrick since you mentioned kubrick he's a man because as far as i know almost everything kubrick directed was a book that he adapted yeah he was major on adapting books and i'm now I'm thinking about it, I'm like... So so was he, like, influenced by Hitchcock in that way? I was I was wondering. I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing that out there. I mean, with Kubrick, I feel like
1: Kubrick was almost like Tarantino in a way. I read something, I see something, and just get heavy inspiration. Okay. And, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure. Maybe he did look at Hitchcock. I do believe that I read somewhere that Kubrick was a fan, so... Maybe he did look at Hitchcock and say, "Hmm, maybe this is the way to do it." Smart and adapt things that people already love, so I don't have to worry about possibly writing a terrible screenplay that people hate, and then they're looking at you as a writer like, "Well, you can't write." Nah, I'm just adapting books.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I
1: think Kubrick adapted some of the most impossible things. (laughs) I feel like he, like, how you adapt 2001. Yeah. Is insane clockwork, The Shining, like, and I mean, of course, with The Shining, he changed the hell
0: of it, but... Yeah, he did a little bit with Clockwork, with clockwork too, yeah. yeah. But
1: I think I like what he did for for a film. I think it was
0: necessary. I, uh, I know in 2001, he worked closely with Arthur C. Clarke. So that wouldn't have deviated, I believe, as much mm-hmm. because of that.
1: But I think with that book, you can't, you gotta stay pretty true to the source material because. You don't want to mess something like that up because when you're dealing with space and people, you know, people start credit, uh, start com bringing up the accuracy of what's being said and things like that. You just, if you're gonna adapt something like that, I don't think you can go too off the rails. Yeah. Um, but I'm 2001 is just the second act of 2001 is just some of the best stuff in cinema, some of the best. So I, I gotta take my hat off to him. But Hitchcock, though, yeah. I, I always think it's smart to adapt if you can some people writing's not easy and to think of stuff that's creative and you know that doesn't feel stale it's it's difficult to do so i think hitchcock was smart in adapting some of the stuff he did and you know every i feel like almost every single great director has adapted at least two or three even though a lot of them write their own stuff think almost everyone's adapted something maybe not tarantino i think he has written most of his stuff but even pta like there will be blood that's loosely adapted from the book oil so yeah and uh, jaws does it jaws yeah, yeah the color that's purple insane. color purple spielberg adapted a lot of yeah. crazy stuff i, I still it still blows my mind he did the color purple, i know that man.
0: that it yeah like that's one of the most shocking revelations i think at the end of Beginning credits in any yeah, film. Yeah, you're like, wait,
1: what? <laughs> yeah. You're like, Phil? I see you. I mean, he was, he did hit a dramatic streak at that point.
0: Cause that, what's the color purple? 80, 80, 88? 85. Damn. It was right after Temple of Doom. So, oh, yeah. He usually does like a popcorn flick, mm-hmm. you know, and then like a serious film. Cause mm-hmm. think about like uh, Schindler's List and Jurassic Park. I think yeah, they were back was the same year. Yeah.
1: That's him. That was insane. So he really went left to right with those yes, two insanity because yes. Schindler's List is can barely even talk about that film. <laughs> like it's so. uh Ray Fiennes. Mm, I'm on Goth, sickest, sickest dude. One of the sickest dudes. But so Notorious. I I just picked it because it's one of my favorites. I just love it. Um, but what did you think of it overall? The other two I think are far more important okay. in our discussions in the advancement film but what, what did you think of notorious overall we'll do letter grades on this cast
0: we'll do letter grades and we'll we'll add pluses and minuses to those i think honestly like the cast the writing the acting the direction everything would be an a or an a plus really because for the time period you're not going to have much action because it is mostly suspense yeah a lot of the action of that time was in like Film serials, which was adapting like comic books or comic yeah. strips. So, so this is more for you know, it's more of a serious film. So, you're not going to spend time on explosions and this and that, but you have that suspense, the tension, yeah. the uh, the the way they emote, as as dumb as that might sound. Like, no,
1: that no, that is it, it's perfect. important. Like, Carrie's Carrie can emote on cue insanely. Like, the way this man's face has changed. From second to second, from situation to situation, it's just it's just insane. It helps build that he, him and Ingrid really worked that script magically because a lot two lesser actors that movie would have been average and forgettable. Yeah. I wouldn't be watching it in twenty twenty three. Yeah, and even Claude
0: Rains the way,
1: he, oh he plays I, that so, I'm, so perfectly. He's so elegant and smooth, man. He, he can, is. You know,
0: the, the, there's an air of integrity about him, even as. A Nazi, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, it's is, like, yo, which is it's weird like, to say. He,
1: he would be one of the most admirable Nazis. Like, you're yeah, like, okay, I'm gonna model myself after a Nazi. <laughs> well, this one would probably be one of the better ones.
0: Yeah, because he's because he had class to him, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and like the way that he his the way he uses his face to just kind of convey whatever's going on in his head, especially like. Walking her down the steps, Mm -hmm. and realizing, like, like when he's waiting, and his mom is trying to get him to speak, and and then he finally does, and he's like looking, and he's trying to figure out, you know, what's going on in his head.
1: Well, yeah, he's like, I'm defeated, I've lost. But what I liked about him as a villain is Hitchcock gave him layers. He was he was vulnerable, and he was, you know, he he lacked confidence in a lot of ways. He he wasn't he wasn't this our villainous nazi he had a very humanistic touch to him and i thought that made his character a lot better and someone an actor of that caliber he needs a character like that to really sink his teeth into and i think that was a good aspect to his character because he he kind of reminds me of hans gruber in a way and mm. the way he carries himself not obviously he's not as sick or at least we wouldn't see that portrayed in a 1946 film but the way he carries himself is elegance. He's not—you wouldn't look at this guy and think he's a bad guy, criminal, anything like that. You'd be like, this guy probably walks the line straight. Yeah, and I think Hans Gruber, same thing. You look at him like that. He's very elegant. He's got the smooth accent. You know, yeah. Alan Rickman. You know, he's the man. But yeah, he—he
0: he was, he was.
1: So that—that's kind of who he reminded me of in there. Just that element to him.
0: The worst part of Die Hard. Just really quick, quick aside, because Hans Gruber, great villain. Great character. The worst part of Die Hard for me, and I love Die Hard. Great film. I love Die Hard. When Hans Gruber, the German leader of the German terrorist group, is speaking to another German and he says, Schließ das Fenster. And the other German looks at him like, I have no idea what you're saying. So then Hans Gruber has to tell him (laughs) in English, Shoot the glass, <laughs> as if the German couldn't comprehend German. Now I know they did that just for the audience yeah. who didn't speak German, but it's frustrating that a German talking to a German and the German didn't understand German. <laughs> Never that's, even thought of that. Yeah, that's that, the most bro. frustrating part of that film for me. And I love that movie it's to like, death. Such a good movie it is, I mean, but that's the worst part for me. Is it you know, oh, okay now that you said it in English? I get it. Subtitles were around back then, so
1: I don't know why <laughs> yeah. they didn't just throw those quick little three words up for us. Yeah,
0: yeah it just to this day it just irks me to my soul. They're like in
1: case anyone can't read in this audience, yeah, just we're gonna in make case. sure they know everything that's going on in this film. Yeah, because
0: he just looks at him like, huh? <laughs> What are you saying?
1: His crew sucked. I don't care what anyone says. That's true. That's very true. (laughs) They all, dude, you let Bruce Willis, who's like 5'10", like 165. (laughs) Dude had no frame to him. Just run you down. He's crawling through vents and outsmarting you at every turn. It's like 10 of you and one of him.
0: The guy from Moonlighting beat them. Yeah, from Moonlighting. (laughs) The guy from Blind Date. Do you remember Blind Date? I don't. Kim Basinger, Bruce Willis, John Larroquette. It was his first film before Die Hard. Wow. Because, yeah, I know the the studio was kind of like,
1: yeah. Bruce. But I guess, um, who directed it? McTiernan? McTiernan. John McTiernan. I guess he was like, nah, I want more of every man. I guess they wanted him
0: to go first to lie or Arnold, one of them Dude, You you know who had to turn it down first, just out of necessity? Because the film is based on a book from the 70s called Nothing Lasts Forever. Hmm which was uh, about an old detective named Joe Leland going to visit his daughter at Nakatomi Plaza, and then terrorists Mm. are there. Okay, Mm. so they they reworked it a little bit, but it was a sequel to a book called The Detective by Roderick Thorpe. Mm. Roderick Thorpe also wrote the sequel. It was made into a film in 1968 called The Detective starring Frank Sinatra. Wow. So they had to offer it to Frank Sinatra first. Wow. And he had to say no because it was a sequel to The Detective.
1: Bro. Frank was, how old was Frank? They, uh, too they,
0: like, old, Frank too old. Frank
1: was proud on his way out, man. <laughs> yeah. In, like, no way.
0: But, you know, they they had to. And so Die Hard <laughs> is technically
1: <laughs> just a, a sequel
0: to The Detective.
1: Wait, just imagine. Frank Sinatra <laughs> easily had to be like 60 to 70 at that time. Yeah. So imagine him crawling play. through a vent. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> come out to the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs. Yippee Kaye. Yippee Kaye, motherfucker. That's I what could, he would say. Yeah, I could not
1: picture Sinatra <laughs> delivering them lines. Hey there, That's buddy. Yippee Kaye. Like, come on. I just couldn't imagine it. But
0: yeah, believe it or not, it was it, because it was a sequel to The Detective and he played Joe Leland in the movie. They. I guess contractually had to offer it to him first. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah.
1: Sinatra was good. I liked him in the Manchurian Candidate. Oh, yeah. That was a good throwback one.
0: And even the original Ocean's Eleven wasn't bad for what it was.
1: Yeah, yeah. For for his time, it was decent. But Soderbergh kicked that up. Oh, he did. (laughs) That's that's (laughs) a
0: discussion for another day. Soderbergh is another one who's in a category all by himself, I think. Yeah,
1: bro. Guess uh, What I watched the other night, a classic, Aaron Brockovich. I forgot he did that. Totally forgot he did that.
0: Just really quick about Soderbergh. 88 to like 2001, he had so many great films. It might have been 2001 to 2002. Because 88 was, or 98, I'm sorry, 98. Out of sight. Out of sight, incredible. 99 was The Limey. With Terrence Stamp. Amazing.
1: I never saw that. The,
0: the Limey, Terrence Stamp and Louise Guzman. Oh, wow. And uh, it's it's the same story as Payback. Okay. That, we'll that we'll Mel Gibson soon. movie okay. and Point Blank with uh, Lee Marvin back in the 60s. It's okay. the same basic film, only the guy is British, so he's called The Limey. The <laughs> Limey and Aaron Brockovich, I believe, the same yeah, year. Uh, yeah. And then like Traffic and Traffic. I think Ocean's Eleven Ocean's in the same 11, year.
1: Ocean's yeah. Dude, he And it's like what crazy. it what are you doing? Like
0: at least five great films in like three
1: years. Dude, I'm like, he had to have the the drug Bradley Cooper had in Limitless, oh. bro.
0: Like <laughs> I'm
1: like, how do you and that amount of time is just yes. insane.
0: And making J Lo a great actress and out of yeah, sight. Yeah, he
1: pulled that out of her.
0: Bringing George Clooney He started out her
1: career acting pretty much, at, right?
0: I believe he did, yeah. yeah. And, like, because I think she did Selena before that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: But, but, I mean, it was about a musician, and she had done dancing and music, I think, before that.
1: She she essentially played herself with somebody else's name. Yeah,
0: yeah. So And then you had George Clooney after the debacle of Batman and Robin Mm -hmm. actually being fantastic
1: dude, George Clooney isn't why Batman Robin is bad though. That's
0: true, you're right. He's and a good Batman. It's
1: not, in my opinion, when I saw that when I was a kid, it was great, you know? Yeah, yeah. When I was seven, six, I don't know, <laughs> so of course, that's gonna appeal to a kid, but it was awesome when I was a kid, so like, I have a nostalgic view for that film, so I don't dog it like everyone else does, you know, but the bat nipples are weird, but
0: but bats have nipples. They, they have to.
1: They gotta have nipples. <laughs> you gotta feed the young.
0: Yeah, so. it's true. So, but,
1: but I mean, George Clooney though, you, one film like that, I don't think could break his star. Dude was too handsome, too smooth, and was killing every role. Yeah, I mean, from when I saw him from t- from Dust Till Dawn, I was like, this is the dude. This oh
0: yeah, really that weird. was even before Batman. I, before ba- I, I think yeah. that was his
1: first. Feature.
0: I think it might have. No, no, no,
1: no. What was first?
0: Attack of the Killer Tomatoes Part Two. Oh my god! <laughs> did, he, did
1: he star in that?
0: I think, or co-star. Oh, god. yeah that's like early, early. Clooney. He
1: probably wants to erase that one. It, probably, like, like I James believe so. Cameron. He he'll never be able to erase Piranha Two, but he <laughs> would love to. He's like the Terminator is my first movie. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: but this is this is what we this is what happens guys yeah so sorry i apologize it's
0: okay this is how it goes <laughs> so
1: let's talk about oh wait so what was your grade on notorious your final grade oh believe it or not
0: everything i would actually say an a all right if, if not an a plus like like maybe an a overall but at least like for the acting and the cast it was amazing so yeah. an a plus for the cast and then an a for everything else like direction yeah Music store for sure. Yeah, yeah. Everything. Yeah,
1: I would also give that an A. You know, a great film. All right. Let's talk about Vertigo. Vertigo. 1958? Yes. Starring Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak, who... Looks stunning in this movie. You're Jim right. Jimmy Novak. Stewart does look stunning. Yo, look, look at him, man. Handsome devil. Yes, you know, I'm, he talked like that. Yeah. He's I'm, a handsome
0: guy. I'm agnophobic. I got, I got <laughs> fair heights. Like, what?
1: Uh, especially <laughs> if you if you ever watch The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, that is one of my favorite Jimmy Stewart performances. He's just, he's so Jimmy Stewart in that movie. It's great. But Kim Novak, that green dress
0: oh yeah yeah my
1: lord when i first saw that movie got excited but that film is one of my favorites all time if i was making a top 10 favorites list that film would probably fall somewhere around the five six area maybe wow um i really do love that film that's one of the ones i saw a little bit later and it really made me really want to dive even more into films that that film was great um I love everything about it. I even love the slow burning start to it, the the weirdness, the the confusion, the kind of what's going on, that the element of mystery in it is just great. There's a great suspenseful element to it as well. And even though there's like, well, there's some crime going on, I guess, but it's not a really a crime film. It does have that suspense that just builds and builds. And when you get to the second act, and figure out what's going on you're just like what the you, you, it's if you haven't seen vertigo i i would highly highly suggest it it is one of the greatest ever made so why don't you tell us what you thought about it
0: well a couple things i felt bad for his friend the woman who was the designer oh, the one who was doing the
1: painting yeah, yeah yeah she loved she him, man. she
0: was in love with him love and him. he was like i don't care i got a fair high <laughs> yeah you know? and she's like what does that have to do we were engaged for a couple weeks at one point you even said it you know and he's like i'm very fair because it's okay so the film starts off he almost falls off a roof jumping with another cop mm-hmm. and he's holding on to the uh the gutter which on is a, on one of the
1: best choreographed
0: action scenes ever. Yeah. No, it lo- it looks pretty bad. <laughs> and 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 then the other cop stops because I guess he he's just an investigator. What was he or a lawyer? I, mean, I forget because they said he's a lawyer at one point, and then that, that, it seemed think, like he was. A cop. I think after
1: he, I think he was a cop, and once that happened, I think he's like, I'm an investigator now.
0: Yeah. So so he so another cop stops on the roof to help him and he falls and he watches him fall to his death and it triggers this vertigo and this this fear of heights mm-hmm. that he didn't know he had until he realized that he could die yeah which you know, i think had everyone was situation get. yeah yeah so then the story goes from there, and an old friend from college asks him to investigate his wife because mm-hmm. he thinks she's possessed. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there's like this weird supernatural element to it. Yes, and then you know she and I—I I don't know if if I should do like main plot point spoilers or not. I mean, it's been well, it's been it's, sixty-five it's, like, years since oh, it came no. out. Go ahead, go ahead,
1: guys. So if you haven't seen it. Still watch it, it's still something you should watch. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Okay, so much like Notorious, Jimmy Stewart falls in love with this woman in like the first 20 minutes of the film. But when you see her, you can understand why. Well, Edith Head did her costume design. Oh, the same woman who did the dresses in Notorious, yeah, for Ingrid Bergman. Edith Head, one of the famous Edna Mode, is uh molded after her in The Incredibles. Oh, the the costume designer. Okay, yeah, he's like, like famous God, so he's
1: teaching stuff all the time.
0: Famous, famous costume designer. And so you know, he falls in love with this woman, and she's married to his old friend. And she's younger. And that's what the old friend is worried about. He's worried about her her mother died when she was twenty six, and she's twenty six, and he thinks She's possessed by the ghosts of one of her ancestors who went crazy mm-hmm. and there's this whole backstory to uh, early California, I guess. yeah and and so he he saves her from drowning at one point mm-hmm. and then falls in love with her after he sees her naked, I assume, because well, he takes her clothes off. Well,
1: let me say this. The film sets you up to really buy into this possession thing. It does. It, yes. it, it, like when you first watch it, it definitely sets you up to buy into this. She's possessed. Something's wrong with her. She's off. And then after he mentioned the scene where he saves her from drowning, after he gets her back to his apartment, the way she's acting, you're like, something's off with this chick. Yeah. You know, And, and but I mean, you know, he pulled out that water Listen, when you see the film, you're going to understand why he, why he was interested. Yeah. you know, it, But he does, as he mentioned, falls very quickly. And I mean, he was a lonely guy. He's older. This is a very yeah. good looking younger chick. Interesting. And she's showing interest back. So that is true. That would prompt someone to definitely develop feelings quicker.
0: And like Notorious, she's married. She's married. She's Always married. He's married. So,
1: loves a little, you know, a little extramarital affair.
0: So he's he's in love with her. She says she's in love with him, but obviously she's married to his friend, and he's trying to do all these things. And he finds out more about the uh, history of the person who she's supposed to be possessed by, mm-hmm. like uh, this woman that, like, a grave that she visits. And this painting of the woman mm-hmm. and the necklace she wore and, and all these different things. And he finds out that it's like her great-great-grandmother. Yep. And so, like, the story is coming together. Like, this could be plausible, this possession. Yes. So he takes her to, I think, like a, like an old mission. Because yeah. it's in California, mm-hmm. so it's like an old Spanish mission, mm-hmm. like, kind of like a convent. Because yeah. there are nuns there.
1: Yeah, there's horses and stuff like that. Yeah,
0: too. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like a ranch.
1: Yeah, it's like a ranch mission. I mean, there is a church there. So yeah, it's yeah. Like a ranch
0: mission deal. There's horses and churches. I don't know. And so she climbs the uh, the bell tower, and you know his vertigo is affecting him, so he can't go after her. And then he watches her like jump and scream and die.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, that's the first hour. That's the first hour. So you're you're already yes, like so the film is setting you up and really doing a great job of making you think one thing because it is not at all what you think is going on. And I think, you know, let's not spoil the rest of it. I for, I won't for them because I think we gave them a good intro. Yeah. If they haven't seen. They're probably hmm. The
0: second half is him dealing with this loss of this woman who he was so in love with. Yes. That's actually the last half yeah, of the movie. That's the last half. And yeah. I think,
1: for me personally, it's the most powerful half and what grabbed me because it really shows you how deep love can actually go to the point of an obsession where it's unhealthy. Yeah. And this character, I cannot tell you what happens, but this character, he, his actions are undoing him and yeah. he's he's becoming undone quickly and he, as the viewer you're gonna you're gonna feel uncomfortable with some of the things he's doing and saying to a certain character because when I first first watched the film I was drinking some alcohol so I was <laughs> uh you know I was already feeling a little bit you know just you know I was more invested than normal so I was like real into this and I'm like oh my lord this man is he is going off the deep end and then I actually paused the film and and sat and thought about what his mind could be going through given the situation he's in because you know we won't tell him but you know what what he discovers it's like that would mess with you yeah that would that would mess with you and make that would make you dealing with this trauma so much harder than it already was yeah because the love they did, Develop in that first half, it did feel real by the time the tragedy happens. But in all of this, she is exhibiting very, very strange behavior. So I think he should have really saw this coming, and I think he thought, like a lot of us men do, we're ego driven. I can change her, I can fix her, I can make her yeah. love me, and he realized that wasn't the case. And so the second half really shows the psyche of a man who's been broken in pretty much every kind of way you can break a man when he's in a relationship.
0: Yeah. It's like his the first half is about possession and the second half is about obsession. Obsession. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, perfect. And it, and it's almost like he's almost possessed with this obsession in Ooh, the second half yes. of the film. Yes. Exactly. And it's Be- because it and it has to do with his his uh, his phobia, mm-hmm. it has to do with the loss of this woman. Like mm-hmm. everything is connected, and he he's trying to break himself. I think of both.
1: Yes, yes, is what it, he's trying he's, to do. Absolutely, and I'm and see that's why I like analyzing films with you because you picked up I think on the m- most important thing in the whole film on the first go around because I've talked to people who watch this film and people particularly didn't care for it as much when I discussed it with them. They didn't seem to understand what the story was about. They really. were so infatuated with why it ended the way it did. And I'm like, you're not looking at the bigger picture. It had to end that way. Yeah. And I'm like, and once you realize what it is, and like you said, he has to break himself of both of these things, which yeah. he does. Yes. But it feels so tragic. But in the long run, it's going to be better for him because everything he thought was built off something it wasn't. Yeah, it was all
0: built on a lie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's
1: not healthy for him. It was not healthy for him. Even though he was happy in the moment, it wasn't healthy for him. So I'm glad you picked up on the major themes of that. But in this second act, the the way Hitchcock plays with colors, dream sequences, the score and the tension building is just some of the most masterful stuff you can get in filmmaking that you wouldn't have. This film influenced so many filmmakers. You would, if you go through and look up, look up some of your favorite directors, favorite movies or directors, guarantee you'll see Vertigo
0: a few times. I believe it's the trifecta. It's the costume design very excellent uh, costume very the
1: just the the detail and everything because like in the second act you know there's a scene where costume is very important yes. in yes. building a certain narrative and yeah. the way that's played out just oh yeah go ahead my bad so it
0: it's like you you have Edith head doing the costumes Bernard Herrmann doing the score mm-hmm. and you have Alfred Hitchcock directing it all and the fact that it is in color cuz obviously he chose to do psycho 2 years later in black and yeah, white
1: mhm very so, specific reasons too so
0: it's like all these things you're right the color is important in this film and it's it almost shows in a way i that one scene that i'm thinking of it's almost psychedelic
1: the dream scene yeah
0: mm-hmm. very psychedelic yeah. it felt
1: like a drug trip
0: yeah, it did, and and that wouldn't work in black and white. It would not work in black and white. Not and at all.
1: Obviously, the color green is very, very prevalent in the film. It that, is, yes. That's all that's important into building, and the way the lighting plays off of certain things are put in certain shadows and lights, and some things are highlighted in low lighting, and that all builds to the suspense. Like, there's a there's an element of mystery over a certain character in the second half and a lot of times you see her in shadowy light in certain areas and you're it makes you wonder until the big reveal is revealed and you're like whoa and the, everyone else is like whoa that color super important he mm,
0: masterful so now now that you pointed out that green is a very important color in this film i realize because he's going after the wife of his friend, is it because he's jealous envy, envy mm, yes,, mm,
1: yes, that's what I took away from it, yeah, uh, yeah, he was envious of the a green eyed monster, yeah, and and I think the one thing he envied the most was the fact that he couldn't do something that your common man couldn't do, and he couldn't simply get up to that tower, yeah, he couldn't and save her, he's, yeah it, oh, God. You, you gotta watch this if you haven't seen it. You have to. This And this one, I would say this one is one for the cinephiles, the movie lovers. I won't say it's for everybody. I mean, it does have an 8.3 on IMDb, but mm. um, I wouldn't say it's for everyone. But if you like good, hard-hitting mystery romances, uh, I think you should definitely watch this sooner than later. Um You know, I think I think we broke that down very nicely. And if you watch the film, refer back to this section of this video and listen to the themes we pointed out and compare them for yourself, because I think everyone takes this movie a little bit differently. And I think that's the beauty of this film. This film it doesn't spell anything for you out in black and white, which is why this film wouldn't work in black and white. This film has a ton of gray areas, and I think that's yeah. what makes it great and a good conversation piece and why, you know, for a long time, it was on BBC's, it was their best movie of all time. Really? Yeah, for a long time. Now wow. Now it's, what is it now? I want to say it's...
0: Paddington 2.
1: It's one of the best. Paddington 2. <laughs> Listen, man. M- Inspector Gadget 2 i (laughs) I see the second one i'm sure i did but i'm sure it was forgettable now listen i don't care what anyone on this planet says the first inspector gadget with matthew broderick was awesome i love that yet again i was a kid when it came out but it was still good
0: (laughs) hey i used to watch the cartoon when i was a kid the cartoon was great yeah i think everyone loved the cartoon that was undeniable um
1: but Paddington too, have you seen that?
0: I have not. Bro. I should though, because I keep hearing great things about it. It's them. so good.
1: <laughs> for yeah. no reason. It's like it shouldn't be that good for a kid's film. It's like like I would say it's like kind of like how to train your dragon. Like how to train your dragon wasn't supposed to be that good. That was a good movie. It was real good. It yeah, shouldn't yeah. have been that good. Like yeah, Toothless, right? Yeah, Toothless that... was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Like I didn't like when I watched Inside Out, I was like, okay, this movie shouldn't invoke the feelings it's making me feel this is supposed to be for little kids and i'm crying my eyes out like i was like oh my
0: lord Dude, pixar does that too they you,
1: it, they really do and yeah but paddington too is i think both of them are really great but the second one just it's super funny you know you gotta watch the first one first though so you can understand the family dynamic and why they love paddington so much yeah so you gotta watch first one first but the second one i do think is a is a improvement over the first one it's funny it paces so nicely it was written great um hugh grant beast in it you know he's a great actor though. he is and, and he's very good in that movie
0: um in spite think, of whatever he's done yeah, in the past yeah you know like, i mean look we can forgive robert downey jr for his right?
1: past i mean we he's super forgiven yeah mean, as far as i'm concerned he's yeah. been an angel his whole life well wait it's, look his
0: it never affected his acting though
1: it really did not probably made it better yeah actually, <laughs> i think it did yeah it probably made it yeah better, so but yeah paddington 2 is a great film you should you know might have to i will check that out yeah All right, before we get into Psycho, we got to talk about our streaming
0: recommendations. You go ahead
1: and go first. A little intermission for you.
0: Okay. I think our last one, last week, I suggested Zack Snyder's Justice League, which was probably a dumb idea if you haven't seen Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman.
1: I got to watch Batman v Superman.
0: Yeah, those, believe it or not, those films, Zack Snyder has a definite point of view. Mm-hmm. And he and he adapts things in uh, in a certain way that can turn off a lot of viewers.
1: I've, I've liked pretty much everything he's yeah. done. I never understood the
0: hate. I don't know. I I I, th- I think it's just you know you've seen Superman the movie, mm-hmm. so you know like there's a lot of love for Christopher Reeves' version of Superman, of course. And I think a lot of the problem is like. Christopher Reeve's Superman is like a time capsule. Yes. So he couldn't exist now. No. Because the world changed the world has so changed much.
1: A lot. They would we wouldn't so, trust Superman now. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. And that's
0: what Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman mm-hmm. are. So I might have to say those two films, I believe they're also on HBO Max, on Max. Yeah. But only because it sets up a more modern I say a modern take on superheroes, but it's it's more like superheroes in our modern society. Yes, yes.
1: And and I would definitely agree with that with Man of Steel. And Man of Steel, I did enjoy Man of Steel. I thought it was great. Um the thing I liked about it is we talked about before, you know, he didn't like he didn't call it Superman because he wasn't that. And yes. I like the way Henry Cavill portrayed him. He had this very Soft, vulnerable, almost kind of childlike innocence to him, and the way it plays out. Yes, it is definitely a combination of Superman the movie and the Donner cut. It's definitely it's like they're almost pieced together. But I do like the the modern take and modern spin on it. You got great cast. You got great people to play all the leads, so they all carry their roles well. And the film it paces nicely but not too quickly it builds the story up really nicely so when you do get to the he fight zod it it feels like we were rewarded this so i did enjoy man of steel i gotta watch batman v superman so i'll probably watch that next week then
0: yeah i i say that because uh affleck's batman is going to be in the flash Mm -hmm, i saw that and And, excited to see
1: that you know his
0: batman we first see him in, in batman v superman and I know you're a diehard Christopher Nolan, Christian Bale, Batman oh, yeah. person. And, and a lot of people are, don't get me wrong. But, you know, this is a different version of Batman. Although written what? by the same guy. But, you know,
1: what? it's not necessarily their Batman. It's Batman Begins. Batman Begins. I just is... love that freaking film. It's just so it's a great good. Film. I, I can watch that anytime. Christian Bale is my dude i love that dude i think he i think he played that version of batman and bruce wayne to perfection
0: it was the first time we saw what went into becoming batman
1: in live action in live action yeah, yes yeah, yes in live right, action because i've been waiting for that yes and it's like it's been beaten with a dead horse in the animated films and comics and all that yeah. but no one's ever adapted to the screen so nicely, and Nolan put that touch on it that it
0: can't be denied he He did what I believe Donner set out to do with Superman the movie, and as ridiculous mm-hmm. as this as it sounds his uh the Richard Donner, the director of Superman the movie, his mantra was like verisimilitude, like making the fantastic seem real, yes, and so that's what Christopher Nolan did. He's like, how do we ground this in reality, even though it's A fantasy that, you know, a billionaire philanthropist would want to actually fight crime.
1: Yeah. But he made it plausible. He did. And, you know, I think you hit it on the head. It it felt very grounded in reality. It felt like this could actually happen around. Bruce Wayne feels like a regular dude you might meet. Yeah, he's rich, got a ton of gadgets. But Bruce Wayne feels like a guy... You might see with five security guards walking down the street in New York City. Gotham, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, It was
0: originally New York. I don't think it was Gotham in the comics.
1: <laughs> I mean, I figured that. I mean, I figured Gotham was modeled after New York. Yeah. I mean, look how shitty it looks. Hey, <laughs> nice. man, dude, Gotham is one of the bleakest places you'd ever live. Like, I could, I wouldn't want to spend more than an hour there. <laughs> only at night cuz during the day it's just too depressing. The yeah. night life seems like it might be fun if you're a drug addict or a criminal.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. And look, the Nolan films influenced uh what became known as the Arrowverse, like Arrow the TV show about Green Arrow, like that whole at least the first maybe two seasons have a real Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises feel to them as far as how the stakes in each film were like so, someone going after this guy, and the way to hit him is to do something to his city. Because yep. he loved his city so much that he uh you know, that's what he fought for. He didn't care about himself as much as he did the city and helping make things better for other people.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Nolan laid he I think he laid a hard blueprint on yeah what to do for the future of the hero genre.
0: And most superhero films now are... Like, you have to take his three Batman films out of mention. Like, I saw a thing about The Flash. Like, if you take out Nolan's Batman films, this is one of the best superhero films ever. Like, The Flash. That's oh. what one of the critics said. But wow. but you have to take Nolan's films out of contention. Because okay. obviously, you know... His his trilogy is probably the best. It's definitely the best hero trilogy. Yes, easy, yes, easy. Especially
1: no. Bruce Wayne's arc through all three of them. Oh, absolutely! It builds so nicely. Because, like, what other trilogy would even come close as a hero?
0: Captain I'm, America, maybe. Well, it, the original Star Wars, maybe for Luke Skywalker. Yeah, if if
1: yeah, yeah, if you're calling Luke? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because okay, he's definitely a hero. Thing. Yeah, yeah that, that might be the, the only one. Only thing. Um, like I do think First Avenger, Winter Soldier, and um, Civil War Civil War were three great films back to back to back with winter Soldier being the standout oh yes, of uh, course that that's one of the best m c u movies so <clears throat> I would say I mean, I'm not gonna put it on level of the Dark Knight Trilogy, but I would say that's probably the next best hero that had a trilogy
0: with the same lead, yes. You know what, yeah, I I would have to agree, especially about The Winter Soldier, because that mm-hmm. I remember reading the comics like before the movie came out, because the comics with The Winter Soldier came out in like the early 2000s. And I love them so much, because they were resurrecting uh, Jason Todd, the one Robin who had who had died in the 80s around the same time in DC. So the Red Hood and The Winter Soldier are kind of the same character, but once Marvel, once DC. And the way that they adapted it for the film was just, stellar and for like the first real big budget film that the russo brothers did yeah amazing they
1: were amazing they came on nice with that they hit the scene hard with that that i was blown away by the winter soldier I was yeah like, man that's i was like chris evans bro oh you my got god something, bro. I, i've grown to like him quite a bit when he
0: and the scar uh, i mean i almost said the scarlet witch it's terrible when the black widow mm-hmm. when he and the black widow are like Hiding out and he puts on the glasses. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is a perfect Superman movie yeah, right there, right? Dude, this is my disguise. I'm putting glasses on. Yep.
1: He he's I think he played, honestly outside of Tony Stark and excuse me. That's all right. Outside of Tony Stark and Iron Man, I think he might be the best MCU portrayal, maybe. Because I do think Chris is good as Thor.
0: Yeah. But man
1: when when steve's on the screen man he he commands he leads he and he's very convincing i think yes chris evans he's got that look he's got the voice he's he got that down he really does he plays that leader militant type guy very well yeah like even like watching snowpiercer he Hell plays yeah. that role so well he and I was really impressed with him because he took his acting to a darker place in that film. I really appreciate what he did in that movie. All right. I'll give you guys my. So, yes. your recommendation, yeah. Recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. It's Man of Steel and, and Batman vs. Superman. Yes. All HBO right, Max. Guys. Yes. HBO Max. Mine is also on HBO Max. Totally different type of film. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. Choked on some water. But, 80s film. Paris, Texas, 1984. Have you seen that? I haven't. Oh so good. Such a great film. This is a kind of a romance drama. And I'll give you a quick overview. It's about a guy who he wanders off in the desert and he comes out and he passes out some people call hospital. Hospital contacts his brother. His brother lives in LA. He's in Texas. So his brother goes to pick him up and bring him back to L.A. to help him out. Now, the issue here is when his brother left, when when our main guy left, when he left, his kid was left with his brother who has come to get him. He's been gone for four years. And this kid now has taken a liking to his uncle and his uncle's wife. So now we have a conflict with his real dad and his live-in dad Mm. and the story unfolds this film has some of the best cinematography i have ever seen i just was in all the film about halfway through i was like you know no matter what the story is in this movie this movie will automatically get at least a 7 out of 10 just for how beautiful it is and how good the score is it's a road trip film and What's his name? It's Wim Wenders. Oh, is he, he directed it? Yes. Wow. Wim Wenders directed it.
0: Uh, and- Wim Wenders also did Far Away So Close and Wings of Desire. Wings of Desire was good. I didn't yeah. realize he yeah. did
1: that. I never saw the other one. What was it? Uh, it was a sequel to Wings of Desire, Far oh, Away So I ne- Close. I didn't even know there was a sequel to
0: yeah, it. Yeah. Hmm. I think Wings of Desire was remade as that Nicolas Cage movie where he's an angel. Was it City of Angels City or something? City of Angels, yeah, something <laughs> like that. I think I forget. <laughs> God, I love Nicholas. Cage, yeah, but and anyway, the Wim Wenders is a good director.
1: Yeah, he his direction a one in this film, and the way they the way they got the landscape of America was just it it made it made this land. It showed us how beautiful it really actually is. Now, this is in the 80s, so things look a little different. But, you know, you see Houston and L.A. and a couple cities, you know, don't look too much different. You know, when you see them in movies now versus then, still gorgeous. And, guys, this film, it might put a tear in your eye at the end, but it's such a good ride and journey. And... You know, I fell in love with the characters. It was a great film. I think you guys would really, really enjoy it. Especially if you like a good, you know, hard hitting family drama. So
0: So Paris, Texas.
1: Paris, Texas.
0: And you bring up you bring up a good point. Because Wim Wenders I want to say he's German, because I think he's German. So This isn't even an American film technically.
1: It's in English, but it's not an American film technically.
0: So do foreign directors, are they able to, to show us things about the United States and America, quote unquote, that we're not able to see because we're entrenched in it?
1: Yes, I fully, fully believe that. I think a lot of foreign directors have come over here and made some great films that just feel different than your average American film.
0: So, that brings us to Psycho. Oh, yeah. Directed by the British British. Alfred Hitchcock. And it's about American desperation Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways.
1: Yes, it is. And I'm glad you said Mm -hmm. American desperation, because you know how the film opens up, what you see, who you think is going to be the lead character. Yes. she does. You're like, wow! When I first saw, it, I was like, "Oh, I didn't think she was gonna do that."
0: <laughs> yes, it's it's interesting. I, I'm sorry, I I shouldn't interrupt you.
1: No, no, no I, was, I was done. It,
0: it's still fresh in my mind, so it's like,
1: go ahead. It's been a
0: while since I've seen it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's interesting that it opens up with two people at a seedy motel post coital whatever, because even though it's not mentioned. You know that they just finished whatever they were doing, uh-huh. which it was taboo. There's a lot of taboos in Hitchcock films. Dude, oh, and honestly,
1: it's just the films of that time. They didn't show things like we see in movies now. No. Things were implied. You knew what happened. You, but a lot of things you couldn't show on camera. You know the restrictions were far higher, which we'll talk about a little bit later with Psycho. But yeah, you you had to. When you watch older movies, you got to read between the lines. Everything
0: isn't going to be spelled out for you. And it's just crazy to think, because like, the guy, Sam, I believe is the man's name, he's talking about paying alimony to his ex. So I, I'm assuming he's still married. That's why they're in this seedy motel mm-hmm. that uh, Janet Lee's character Marion. Marion references like, you know, it's quarter to three, Checkout is at three at this kind of hotel because mm-hmm. they don't care when you check in, they just care when you check, you out. check out, and they don't care how long you're here. Yep, you're one <laughs> hour, you yeah, bang
1: and bounce.
0: And it's, it's interesting that that's who the main character is. The main character is someone who is willingly putting herself through this type of relationship where you know, I hate to say she's like either the side piece or or whatever, but that's really what. She is, and that's what she settled for. So she goes mm-hmm. back to her job, and you could tell she's unhappy. Mm-hmm. And you know, this blowhard comes in, mm-hmm. like talking Got about him all- like a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> and talk about all this money and all these things, and she's just like, you know, essentially, like, this is bullshit.
1: F yeah. F you. She yeah. gives him a big F you.
0: Yeah. And that's what we'll say in
1: case you haven't seen the film. Now, Psycho any cinephile there if you haven't seen psycho i don't know what you're doing but yeah we'll call it a big fu. and you know <laughs> um and what and if you've seen the film you know what that f you is and i'm glad you brought up desperation and the time period and you brought up how she is as kind of our protagonist figure she was very representative of the changing of america as women were being more liberated and willing to do things that the women of 10 15 20 years ago would have definitely frowned upon definitely wouldn't you know gave the f you to that guy in the way she did but that was her doing that was a means a further means to further liberation yeah where i think that's a a overarching message in the film about being liberated and It doesn't just go in the way of the ladies. Same thing with
0: Norman Bates, and we'll talk about him later, but go on. Yeah, so she finds herself on the run, basically. Mm -hmm. But, like, on the run from her own life.
1: From her own life. That's what's like, it doesn't, I mean. It's not. Yeah, they're, like, by the time, you know, the law's involved, you know, things are already kind of changed, so.
0: Yeah, it's like she's running from who she's become because she doesn't know how, how else to change her situation. Mm -hmm. And, and it's interesting because it's, it's almost, you know, it predates like desperate housewives by, you know, 40 years or more. Yeah. 45 years or something. It's
1: 1960. Yeah.
0: 1960. And desperate housewives was like, I think 2004. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, it's like, it's showing those seeds of dissatisfaction in the post-war era, like, like what's wrong with, like, the, uh, I'll say, like, the nuclear family, like, like the Leave it to Beaver
1: yeah, type yes. of family,
0: like, not everyone has that,
1: Nope.
0: so what are the people, like, that don't have that, and what are they willing to do to change that, or to change their situation, if they don't have Ward Cleaver to yep. take care yeah. of? Yeah, you
1: know, the white picket fence, and.
0: Yeah, because, because I- Sam is tied up. You know, he works at a hardware store and he pays alimony. Yep. His so he money, can't provide he ain't for no it. He got no money. He's yeah. like, I'm
1: broke. He's like, shoot, only way we can get some money, we kill this chick. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a tough situation. And, you know, going back to Hitchcock's suspense building, one, you mentioned her being on the run. so when she's on the run, you know, there's that scene where she's uh, a little bit afraid that she's about to get caught with what she's doing. And, yeah. Just the small little suspense building in that scene is a precursor to what's coming later. Because the film starts out, it kind of reminds me of From Dust Till Dawn in a way, how Mm. it's almost two different films. The first half feels like a crime film, and the second half feels like a horror film or a psychological thriller. And leading up to that, you're feeling this tension, but not in the way that your typical horror film would would do because this is one of the early horror films or early slasher films yeah for sure. slasher Yeah, it, it definitely almost pretty much invented the genre or, or put it in in households so by the time she gets to the basement hotel which you guys all know what that is and know who runs mm-hmm. it by the time she gets there you're almost forgetting that you put psycho on yeah you know, you're, you feel like you've watched something else but then you are quickly reminded when you see Anthony Perkins brilliantly, brilliantly playing Norman Bates. He he's excellent in this film. But I'll let you go on.
0: Well, you're right. She um, Hitchcock does a bait and switch in his films. He does. He absolutely. does.
1: He, Vertigo. Yeah. Huge. Baits. Yes. That's probably one of the biggest bait and switches in a film of all yeah.
0: time. Yeah. And and he does the same thing in Psycho, mm-hmm. basically, because, yeah, you're so invested in this character, he builds this character up for the first half of the movie, and then changes focus. Yep. And-
1: Spoiler alert, guys. She dies. Now, the reason <laughs> I am spoiling this, because she dies in, like, the first 20, 25 minutes of the movie. It's not long, and then it happens. Well, actually, it's-
0: I think it's about 40.
1: Is it 40? And, 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 I, and
0: I say that because I kept checking the times, because I oh, wanted to okay. see, like- Like, how far into a film he switches. Yeah, because I'm like. It's usually 40 to 60 minutes in.
1: Wow, he really built that suspense well because it feels like no time has gone by by the time she does die.
0: Well, because remember, she's with Sam at the hotel, Mm -hmm. they're talking for a while. And then, yeah, then she's at then work. And Then she's in the car. And then she
1: switches oh, the car. She switches the car. Switches the car. Yeah, because remember, I've she falls told, asleep. The yeah, cop wakes her up. Wakes her up. You know what? And then a he lot follows her. Happened there.
0: Yeah. yeah uh-huh. So you're on this journey with her as she's yeah,
1: you totally escaping. You put a horror film.
0: On. Yeah, <laughs> but, like you, you feel the tension of her thinking everything is going to come crashing down around her, and then she makes it to a motel, and. You almost feel that relief with her. Yes. And, you know, she talks to Norman, and she eats with him. He feels like
1: a nice guy. Yeah. He
0: feels like this is
1: a safe guy.
0: He's a lonely introvert.
1: He's a lonely introvert. You know, he's just happy to serve you as a guest in the hotel. Yeah. And, you know, Norman, he displays this childlike innocence to his character, and I think... Obviously, if you've seen the film, you know why he is the way he is. Yeah. And Anthony Perkins, like, I think he played this role a little too well because I feel like he got typecasted after this. I feel like. I think he did. I I feel like he never got to, because I would have loved to see him as a hero type or, you know, someone to get behind in a film because I think this guy had incredible talent. But what he does in, you know, the Marion it's like, it's just insane, like, to think about it, even with all the stuff we've seen that's come out that's just gory, gross, crazy, just the way Hitchcock works that camera in that shower scene, bro, you, it, it makes your heart beat, you're like, oh my god, dude. and the blood is chocolate, which <laughs> is another reason it's in black and white, because back then, we didn't have this kind of stuff in films. Yeah. Which is why what happened to Baby Jane was, like, originally rated X. because Really? Yeah, because all, all violent it was. Wow. And Hitchcock was like, obviously, I'm not doing that. So, chocolate for the blood, you get the first toilet flush ever on camera. Yeah, yeah, and, when she's
0: ripping up the paper. Yeah, first yeah.
1: toilet flush on a camera. And then, wow. you know, even though it's chocolate, it's in black and white. You still know what it's supposed to represent and it doesn't take away from the suspense and you know how screwed up this situation is that you're watching.
0: You know that. you know what scene I love? Hmm. Right after she grabs a shower curtain, mm-hmm. falls down, and then it's showing the water oh, going down the, drain, down the drain.
1: Oh, it's and, one of the best.
0: And and then it goes to her eye. Mm-hmm. The circle the pupil of her eye and how dead it is. I know that sounds weird to say, but it's a a great transition.
1: No, it's considered super iconic. You you aren't weird for bringing that up at all. This, this is definitely. I was one of the first things I noticed about that scene. I was like, this, the, what this, what this man chose to put on screen to show us is just, it's, it's crazy. It's to think of, it's just nuts how this holds up so well. After all these years, after we have all these effects, we can make stuff look so real now, and I take the practical effects in psycho over the c g i and morbius so I, <laughs> how dare you how dare i, I no I can't how I dare can't tra- you it is my favorite film of all time, but I can't you know, but still, it doesn't mean that the visual effects weren't there, but I think that's a testament to the times too. Filmmakers had to work with what they had, yeah, and had to make you know a lot from a little. You know, people did so much stuff back in the day they would never do now in order to you know they've CGI it. You know, we got this fake, whatever, fake this, that. You know, it's amazing what he did, but go on, I'm done.
0: Oh, yeah, I just uh, I find it interesting because that's the point where the story changes from. Mm From, like, a, a crime thriller to, I guess it is more of, like, a, a suspense horror because it's then her her boyfriend, her sister, yeah. and an investigator for her boss, I believe, yep. trying to figure out what happened to her. Mm-hmm. Because she used a different name at the Bates Motel. Yep. And, and I did notice that what... I think what set off Norman, when he's talking to her, she says her last name, Crane, and he checks the ledger and she wrote a different name. She screwed up. So he knows that she's lying to him. Amateur hour. Yeah. And he, his, you find out later, like his emotional growth at least was stunted at a certain point. Yes,
1: absolutely.
0: So he, he's also a voyeur, so he's watching her undress. Because he puts her in the first cabin, which is right next to his office, and he moves a painting and is watching her. It's a little more uh, blatant in the Gus Van Sant shot-for-shot remake of Psycho that Norman is a little more hands-on during that scene. Vince Vaughn, yeah, the Vince Vaughn is a little more hands-on while he's watching her undress, you know, and uh, so I mean, and I was watching this version of Psycho like. I I hadn't seen it in a long time, like I said, and in a way, there's almost that illusion to that as well in this one, like that he he is attracted to her, he is, uh, you know, aroused, yeah, by but at least the idea of her, mm-hmm. and then he realizes that she's lying to him, and something in him snaps and and we we know what that is, but I don't know if if it's you know if I'm able to say it or well, I, not i th- I, th- I think we got I think we gotta say
1: it. I think if we're breaking it down, I think we gotta go ahead and say it. guys, if you ain't seen psycho, just watch it even if we spoil it for you, just watch it did you you're come on, you gotta see that, and if you wanna see it, then just in the video here. So, you know, end it here if you want to see it. But we're going to probably spoil the rest of it for you. Yeah, end it here. End it here because we're going to spoil it. If you haven't seen
0: Psycho, go watch it. Then refer back to this. All right, go ahead. Okay. So you watch the film and you see a woman stabbing Marion in the shower. Mm -hmm. And then Norman comes running in. And disposes of the body pick up the pieces to to clean everything and to to clean up what is he he had spoken of his mother previously before this scene mm-hmm. so and and Marion actually heard him arguing with his mother at one point because he had invited her up to the house to eat uh-huh. and the mother he was talking to the mother and she was arguing so he brought the food down yeah. to the the motel is a little further down from the house, yep. the Bates house. And so he cleans up what his mother does. Yeah. And so when the investigator comes along looking for Marion, he speaks to Norman, and it's it's interesting to see the way Anthony Perkins like backpedals some of the story when the guy realizes that he's lying to him. Mm-hmm. So he kind of like phrases things a different way. And he's like, Oh, well, when you put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now I remember mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. blah. Like Anthony Perkins actually in this film, he is really good at that. He, I think you said he has like a, kind of like a naive innocence to yeah, it. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And he does because he is childlike, almost like, the way that Tyler Durden is in Fight Club. Yeah. Because he's kind of like that childlike id for the narrator in Fight Club. hmm and, and that's how Norman Bates is because of his stunted emotional growth. Yes. So he, he does what he can to placate the guy to send him away because he doesn't want his mother to get in trouble yep. for murder. And there's a swamp nearby makes it it real easy where where he disposes of marion's car and marion
1: oh see so the stunted emotional growth which is one of the main themes of the film so his mother while he was coming up pretty much repressed him from becoming a full man you know in more ways than one and this is ultimately a big part of why he's doing what he's doing, why he's looking at Mary in the way he's looking at her in the shower. There's certain things this, this man wasn't allowed to do. And of course, any woman that's come in his life, she's a whore. She's this, she's that, you know, and his, his mom though ends up eventually finding love herself And because of the way she repressed him sexually, he in turn becomes jealous of this because she's pretty much the only female figure he's ever really been allowed to have any form of emotions for. And this kind of mental and emotional trauma fully comes out into someone who's unhinged because he probably already had some mental health disorders going on that coupled with this is going to make someone do the things he does and maybe even believe what he's doing so i'll let you i'll let you go on from there with your analysis uh,
0: yeah i mean that's that's actually what it is it's what it's how his upbringing broke him to the point where he like, even the town doesn't really uh, talk about whatever happened at the Bates. Uh, it wasn't at the motel. It was at the house. So, at the Bates' mm-hmm. house. house. And so, like, the like Sam and the sister. Okay, so the, the investigator leaves, and then he goes back to talk to the mother. Because Norman had spoken to the investigator about his mother.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when the investigator goes into the house the mother was like, well, I'll take a stab at it. Nah, literally. <laughs> cause, cause literally. he, cause the investigators at the top of the steps, it's a really crazy scene. Mm-hmm. And she like stabs him across the face and he falls down the steps mm-hmm. and then she jumps on him and just keeps stabbing him. Yep. So once again, Norman is called upon to dispose of a body.
1: Yep. Once again.
0: And as he's disposing of this body, I believe Sam and the sister, Marion's sister, show up. Yeah. And they want to get a room because they decide to go and investigate themselves because they haven't heard from the investigator. They haven't
1: heard from them and they, you know, the sister is super like, bro, something is wrong here. Yes. And, I mean, they both feel it, but, you know, I think that's another thing. Intuition,
0: it's, you know when something's off, you know. Yes. And so... You know, they they do their investigation, and they find out, basically, that uh, the sister finds the mother, the preserved corpse of the mother. Mm-hmm. And Norman comes running and dresses the mother, wielding a knife.
1: And Looking s- crazy. Crazy. <laughs> and then Sam
0: saves uh, the sister by stopping Norman, and then Norman, like... Uh, writhes around and, you know, the wig falls off and yeah. the dress, the dress starts up. to come off. Come and undone, And so then it goes to the police station where the police, that they have a psychologist there basically giving uh, your assessment. Yeah, he's giving an assessment. And that's really, I think the crux of the film is like the last like five minutes where the guy is talking about how you know, Norman actually killed his mom and the man she had married. Uh, He found them in bed together and killed them. Mm -hmm. And so he took on her personality. So it was like a split personality thing. Mm -hmm. So he literally thought the mother was killing these people. Like he had no idea there's a disconnect.
1: I'm like, he actually was a psychopath in that way because it wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to use my mom as a cover. No, he really felt that he played these two personas. Yes. They were both living inside his mind. I mean, he literally had a conversation with his mother. Yes. And his mother told him, you're not bringing that whore up to this house. Yeah. And he believed that and was upset genuinely. Yes. he's like, mom this is my shot at some tail. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what it was. And he's like, yeah. bro, she's, she's blocking heavy. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it and, was. And she was. Yeah. She was. And well, he was, but yeah.
0: And he didn't know how to handle it because of, like well, you said that repression, that sexual yep. repression. She
1: never let him grow up. She sheltered him. She treated him like a baby his whole life. So he had a childlike mindset, even as an adult. He was a kid pretending to be an adult. Yes. You know, that's what he was. He, he didn't, he had the maturity of probably a Fourteen or fifteen year old, you know. Yeah. Even though he's probably supposed to be like 25, 26 Yeah. Maybe, you know, easily. So
0: the only thing he was stuffing was birds. Was birds. Yeah. <laughs> the taxidermist crazy. Yeah. yeah. That
1: was. That's the first element you see of creep with his character. You're like, throw stuffed animals everywhere. That's really that. And I know some people are into that, and that you know if that's your deal, that's cool. I just always find it strange when like a stuffed dead animals looking at me i don't know just strange yes like we don't stuff our loved ones and
0: keep them (laughs) in the house like so i just i don't know unless they're dogs or cats some people do that yeah i'll bury them yeah (laughs) so i i noticed a few things like if you if you if you don't know this the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Psycho are based on the same guy.
1: I mean, that's what it pretty much seems like Yeah, in a way.
0: And the layout of the houses, I believe, are the same. Like it If you really watch supportive. the original Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre. Especially
1: the way like the basement goes down. Yeah, and, and the stairs going up stairs and going up, how they, and they are and everything. And over, yeah. Yeah. Even though the house in Texas Chainsaw, yeah. I wouldn't step foot in there with a hazmat suit. No, I don't <laughs> think anyone should. It looks... Oh, bones and oh, yeah. stuff everywhere. At, at, Saws just laying around. Ugh. Yeah,
0: they they stuffed more than animals. They stuffed way more <laughs> than animals. Like, yeah, and that was a whole family though.
1: Yeah, and and it's like, and honestly, like, I, I made my greatest villains um, the other day, and I was thinking about yes. what horror guy I wanted to do, and I had to come come to Freddy Krueger because Freddy Krueger is inherently the most sick out of them. Leatherface yeah. really was. He was the same thing as Norman Bates. He had a childlike mindset. Yeah, yeah, and he was essentially controlled by someone else. He really wasn't the evil guy. the The older guy who was living there was pretty much running the show and telling Leatherface what to do. So, yeah, and but the the, the best thing about Texas Chainsaw is like that's an interesting like the statement on kind of vegetarianism it takes with the way they they how they treat humans like essentially animal meat yeah and uh, and i've read i've read somewhere i think it was maybe guillermo del toro or somebody um they're like yo after i watched that movie i didn't eat meat for like two months i just couldn't yeah how could you texas chainsaw is the original the original yeah yeah yeah. budget what they did with that budget insane like some of the most Shrieking, screaming, you'll ever hear. Oh like, my oh, God. My like, when
0: he's hitting that woman on the head with a hammer,
1: yeah, I thought
0: he was really doing it. Yes,
1: some like, of <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Putting them on the hooks. Oh. And, uh, yeah. And like that idiot goes in the house. I'm like, dude, don't go in the house. You don't just walk into people's houses. I'm and like,
0: you know what? Look, other than Psycho, I think that was the first, because that was like 74, maybe? I think 74, yeah. Yeah. And that's before Halloween, before, yeah, before Friday the 13th? Friday the 13th. Before, before any of Freddy,
1: those. Um, yeah, because like as far as horror after Psycho, what you had, like Night of the Living Dead was what, 68? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, you had like your probably your Hammer horror your films, hammer horror, yeah. but that's like Dracula, Frankenstein, Dracula. yeah, no, was, whatever. Those are scary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, so, no.
1: I mean, they're great, but they're not scary. Yeah, now, Peter Cushing think.
0: and Christopher Lee. That's yeah, not scary. Terrifying. You know? Yeah.
1: But yeah, I, yeah, I'd say Texas Chainsaw really was the, the, the next step in slasher that yeah. really pushed it because then you know the '70s had great horror coming out after that. Yeah, it was Halloween. Would probably be my favorite slasher, Um, because Halloween, man, that movie scariest, man. Yeah. When he's he's punching through the closet, and she's in there like crouched down. I was like, bro, girl, you gonna <laughs> get your <laughs> ass.
0: <laughs> yeah, and look, that's connected because it's Janet Lee's daughter.
1: Yeah, uh, crazy, crazy, yeah. you know. Yeah. So yeah, um, but yeah, so Psycho. It's a it's a great film. It's uh it's one of my favorite Hitchcock films. There's a lot of other Hitchcock films I like. Um I almost did North by Northwest instead of Psycho, That's but I know this film. man. I know this man seen that <laughs> and, and I love loves, it. It's so good. So I was like I wanna look something a little different. Cary Grant. He's just the man. He is. He was so good in that film and plays such a good physical role. Yeah. And you know, he showed he was a lot more than a handsome face. I mean, he showed that a long time ago. His yeah. Girl Friday, ah. like, that character is iconic, just the way he talks and carries himself. So many actors have emulated that style.
0: What about Gunga Din? Have you ever seen Gunga Din?
1: I've never seen that.
0: It's Cary Grant, young Cary Grant, like, 39. So oh, it's nice. after he was in the first Topper film also from, like, 37. So it's Cary Grant, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., and I think Frank McLaughlin. Wow. Sam Jaffe, did you ever see uh the original The Day the Earth Stood Still?
1: Yes, great
0: film. Sam Jaffe was like the Albert Einstein-esque scientist. Yes. Okay. Only in Gunga Din, he's younger, and he plays like a, like an Indian guy. It's like it's like British guys in India in the eighteen hundreds. Okay. It's sort of like an Indiana Jones movie, but like before, like decades before Indiana Jones. Okay, so it's a fun one. Yeah, it is kind of a fun. It's just an action adventure, and you know it's Cary Grant, just being just Cary, Cary Grant,
1: Grant being the man,
0: the Bishop's wife,
1: Bishop's wife. Dude, look, he endless, is inc- yeah incredible. Endless. He's insane to man. catch a thief to catch a thief. Another good collab with them too. Yeah, and one of my favorite roles of him. Him, Catherine, and Jimmy, Philadelphia song, Oh, Philadelphia story, film, yeah. You know, he's wow. He he's in a lot of the what are considered some of the best movies ever made. So Cary Grant, even if the movie ain't that good, he'll be good in it. So yeah, just know if you put a Cary Grant film on, you'll you'll be okay, especially forties and up, you're definitely good.
0: The way um, he delivers a line. Yes, I'm like yeah. he does
1: it like no no other man. He's yeah. definitely one of the best. But so Oh, we didn't grade Vertigo first. Oh, yes.
0: Give me your Vertigo grade. Vertigo. Honestly, Vertigo, I would have to give that an A also. Because even though you know I make fun of the way Jimmy Stewart just says everything, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like he, he brings an emotion to it that his voice helps sell. Yes. I think
1: in that second act, yeah. uh, second half, I definitely think his voice and his kind of Every man's style really carries that because to see an everyday man like him going through that, it helps break you down as a viewer as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. Vertigo, I, I'm i giving an A, plus, one of my favorite films, but that might be me being biased. But <laughs> Vertigo gets an A plus from me. So, Psycho, Psycho, great on Psycho.
0: God, believe it or not, uh, just because it did innovate so many things and one thing I was thinking about, because you're, what is it, a Dolly Zoom? Is yep. that that? Mm-hmm. I was I was wondering like how many things Hitchcock innovated before and after he got to Hollywood. So I wonder if a lot of the things we attribute to, because I was thinking about just that one thing, but also he would have had to have done many things to get to that point. Yeah. So I wonder if all the all the love we give to Orson Wells for Citizen Kane, if Orson Wells was influenced by early Hitchcock. And maybe I mean, that's what got definitely. him to that point. I
1: mean they they I mean they kind of they were making films in the same like era Yeah time. they but were. I definitely think later Orson Wells was influenced by what Hitchcock was yeah. doing while he was starting out. Yeah, because Hitchcock
0: sure. was doing films almost for twenty years yeah, at the like, point that you know, Wells would have started. Yeah. So it's them. like he's he's you gotta know.
1: be. But like Scott, Hitchcock's done so many films. He has a lot of movies. I mean, like, even if you watch his movie, I think it's forty eight maybe. Rope. Rope. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Dude, like, it almost looks like one continuous shot the way he did it. Very, very little cuts. And that helped build the narrative of what that story is about. And he's yeah. one of the first dudes to shoot a shoot a uh, movie, in pretty much one room with no cuts and make it that good. And I think people everyone has been praising Sam Mendes for nineteen seventeen, oh, yeah, which he deserves it all. It's great, but I mean Hitchcock Ben did a cutless film back in the day. Yeah. and did it with way less visual effects to help aid it and push it along like 1917 has because like yes it's got the one shot thing going on but there's so much happening around you're just like holy hell i don't even know where to look so you know but yeah so i mean he's
0: and that's a good point like a lot of his he does do long lingering takes Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with it like, cause you you feel like you're more invested in it, yes. cause you're right there with them. Yes,
1: you get locked in. That's, that film I was talking about earlier, Paris, Texas. Yeah, like the last scene, bro. It feels like feels like eight nine straight minutes of just one shot going, but it
0: works. Like if if directors can do that and they work, I'm all for it. Well, I know more recently, like Daredevil, when It was on Netflix. It's now on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. You know, in the first season, I forget which episode, maybe the second one or third, there's like this really long fight scene that's just one scene. It's wow. like no cuts, you know, it's that's like awesome. him going through a hallway beating the hell out of people. And yeah, then in the second that. season it's the same thing, only going down, I think, a stairwell. Ooh. It's
1: I gotta I gotta go ahead and watch that. I'm yeah, watching. Daredevil was great. I gotta watch that in The Flash. I'm yeah, The Flash man. definitely. There's just so much hero content, bro. The hero content is you get fatigued. It's almost endless. Yeah. yeah. Like it's almost endless, Because so. I got you know, I try and mix it up and throw all kinds of stuff in there. Like dude, yesterday I watched Bo was Afraid, which Bo was Afraid actually has a lot of the same themes as psycho. Oh really? It's sexual repression mostly. Okay. Mother issue. Yeah. Actually, yeah, think about it. They're very similar films, but um, <laughs> as, as far as the themes go, yeah, I, yeah. not what you're seeing, but what yeah. it's about. Uh, but I mean, I watched Bo's Afraid, which I would call a black comedy thriller. I did Pass the Glory, a war film from the 50s. I did Coffee, a black exploitation film yeah. from the 70s that had passed, or um, Paris Texas, 80s drama romance film. And then I watched an anime movie from the late 70s. So I'm all yeah. over the place. You know, I never yeah. want to, I never can, I can't stay in one pool too long or my fingers will get too wrinkled.
0: Yeah, I've been trying to watch, uh, oh, actually Psycho, I'm sorry, Psycho. Yeah, let I it. It would have to be an A, just because yeah, hey. of, it was actually trendsetting. Because I think after that, because of, let's say, like the toilet flush, mm-hmm. the uh, glimpses of skin. Like not really nudity, but glimpses of skin like you've you'd never really seen before, mm-hmm. and and the way it pushed the boundaries, and I believe moved filmmaking forward. I would say, and and that's not even the direction, the music, Bernard Herman again, yeah. Oh my god, and you know the acting, everything in it is perfect because. At that point, I think Hitchcock was like a well-oiled machine.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: So he could just like, he could like shit out something fantastic. Yeah. You know?
1: He would just plug and play. If the script was good, it was going to be good.
0: Yeah, kind of like Clint Eastwood right now. Yeah. Like Clint Eastwood could probably do anything and it would be great just because he's so good at what he does and he always works with the same people so they know how to work with him to to get quality. Because a lot of
1: people do have an issue with Clint. They're like, you know, he's kind of he's very like let's move he don't one take he's, yeah he's they say he's a little harder to work for but and i do think that's why it's the same guys i mean morgan's like i just eat his style up he's my boy you know i've known him forever so it's natural i'm gonna be in a lot of his movies you know I'm easy to work with with him. It makes things go smoother. Yeah. And I think Hillary Schwenk said she really had a good time working with him, too. So, yeah. I mean, some people take to that style and some don't. Bradley Cooper really liked it. He's yeah. Like, I yeah. like that style. But then other actors were like, nah, I can't get down with it, man. I need that first take or two to, you know, get my feet wet. So
0: It probably stretches you to, you know, be better. Yes. So, and some people, like you know, like you just said, need probably a few takes to get into what the character is actually feeling. Mm -hmm.
1: And I think that's where you got to talk to your director before you even start shooting to understand what this character is supposed to think and how they're supposed to feel and act. Like You got to understand your character and when you're playing a role. And I think when people understand the assignment, whether the actor is great or not, the performance is gonna be better, yes, yeah, so guys, I know that we probably capture your, your attention far too long if we have um next week we'll get we'll get into another director um and we'll 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 add a couple little things to the list to the to the intermissions to make it a little more fun for you guys with the streaming recommendations so you know, wherever you listen to podcasts, we'll be we'll be expanding and growing, and you know, this stuff takes time. So, eventually, you'll be hearing these on all the major platforms. But hope you guys enjoyed um, anything you want to say before we head out.
0: Uh, not not that I can think of right. now right now. Other than uh, until next time, we'll see, next you time. see you on the cutting room floor.
1: On the cutting.